You're listening to Unfiltered with Muhammad Uncut, a podcast about personal growth and authentic leadership. If you're looking for tips on how to manage others, get ahead, and make your way up the corporate ladder, this is not the show for you. This podcast is about being of service to others, leading from the heart, and evolving into a better version of yourself. Each episode brings you motivated stories about unfiltered leadership and authentic leaders, those who involve others, use their influence to amplify diverse perspectives, and inspire teams to achieve collective results. If this sounds like you, keep listening. Welcome to the Unfiltered Podcast. There are these moments where you're inspired by learning about people and learning about their journey and their story. Some people inspire you for a day, others inspire you for a lifetime. About six months ago, I had the pleasure of being introduced virtually to my next guest, Jacqueline Wei, and she has continued to inspire me every single day to the point where when I missed her on social media, I had to poke and say, is everything okay? So before I get too ahead of myself, I want to give the warmest, the warmest, the brightest, the most loving welcome to Jacqueline. Welcome and thank you for being my guest today. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here because you and I have a innate connection that is just so easy. And uh, we were destined to have this conversation and just collaborate on the world together. So thank and you for having me. It's the first of its kind for you and I, but certainly not the last. So thank you. And you know what? We, we, we've collaborated long before this moment. There so go. it's all there good. Go. It's, the, it's the energy that creates worlds. Well, Jacqueline, I think I have to do justice to who you are and your journey. And with your permission, I'm just going to give my listeners a bit of background to who you are. So Jacqueline Way, first and foremost, is a mother. She's a mother of three boys. She's an activist. She's a dedicated world changer who wants to change the world one gift, one day at a time. And she's doing it with the charitable organization she founded, 365 Gift. She's also a TEDx speaker whose talk has inspired millions and has been viewed by over four and a half million people. Actually, there's been 4,852,796 views today, <laughs> to be exact. But who's counting? Her purpose I'm glad you checked that. I didn't know that. <laughs> her purpose is to inspire and educate and educate the hearts and minds of people and to create a happy life and a happier world. And she's doing that. And she gets to do that as my unfiltered guest today. So much for the script. Let's get to know who Jacqueline is. Welcome and thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you. That was uh, an amazing and humbling introduction. And I, I didn't know the TED Talk had gotten to that number. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, you know what? Let's start there. You know, uh, I've shared that stage and it's humbling and it's an incredible mm -hmm. stage to share a message. Can you tell me, how did you get to that stage to share your message? And for those who don't know who you are and don't know your message, please take yeah. us there. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, that the TED journey was, has been an awesome one for me. Um, always continues to be because it connects me to so many people all over the world. And it's, uh, it's my greatest gift that life has given me. Um, but was also my most humbling, bring me to my knees moment in my life as well that taught me so much. Uh, and my goal was never with this conversation on that stage to actually ever do a TED Talk. Um, and people talk about synchronicity and, you know, things happen in your life. Um, I actually have a clear belief that nothing in your world doesn't happen for a reason. Um, and that journey uh, actually didn't start on the TED stage at all and that's not my life was the moment I stepped on that TED stage it started long before that moment but the catalyst to that moment was actually my very first son and as you said I am a mother of three boys I'm actually a mother of three adoptive boys um, so if you want to talk about um, you know when with the energies of the world come together um, as an adoptive parent um, you realize that the children that come into your life are destined truly to be with you. It wasn't because my husband and I had sex. It was because I had to create those children out of thin air. Um, and I'm very clear that I did that. And I know that, um, you know, they were, they were brought to me for a very clear reason. And they're my greatest teachers. Uh, and so my, my first son, Nick, 
Um, you know, he's just an incredible human being. And I always tell him this. Uh, and he says to me, oh, mom, 365 give is not me. It's you. And I always tell him that the moment he came into this world was the moment he inspired this in me. And so I decided as a parent and, and the part of the adoption part of this is that when you go through the adoption process, you are like screened down to an inch of your life. You have to go through hours and hours of, I don't want to call it interrogation, but questioning of your motives of being a parent, why you want to be a parent, what's important to you, what's important and your values about family. And it's a really great process to go through because the clarity that you get in that process that parents who have just children because they get pregnant, they actually don't go through that process. So I was so clear on what my why of becoming a parent. Um, and I remember uh, when we were, we were almost at the edge, you know, of all of our interviews and all this process we had to go through. It's about an eight month process. It was actually eight and a half months for us before we were deemed fit for adoption. And then, you know, that can, you can wait another like 10 years till you're actually chosen for the adoption. Uh, and literally right on the day that, that, that was done was the day that we got the very first call to say, we have narrowed you guys down out of 10 families to adopt this little boy that's been born. He was at the time, he would have been just, uh, about eight weeks old. Um, and so there was a waiting time. Uh, that we had to wait to find out if we were going to be the ones that we were going to be the ones to be chosen. You don't get a lot of information about the baby, anything else. You just have to wait and be in, when I say true faith, true faith that this little person is destined to you. And I knew that the most important part for me as a parent, no matter which way it went, was that I just wanted to grow a kind, compassionate, loving little human being no matter what that was my priority as a parent i don't didn't care if he goes to university i didn't care if he went to college i didn't care if he was the next einstein none of that mattered to me i just wanted the opportunity to grow and help foster a beautiful little being in this world well the day i got that call to say he was our son was probably the greatest moment of my life and i, I made a commitment to myself and to him that no matter what i would do everything in my power to help foster that and he came home and it was the greatest experience of my life. And I just love being a, mo a mother and a parent. Um, I wanted to literally adopt a whole orphanage at that point. Uh, and, uh, and so by the time he was three, I decided it was time for the mummy lessons to start on how to be, you know, a kind, compassionate, loving little being, because it was time that he was going to be start going into his school years. You know, so preschool starts right around that age and, you know, then kindergarten by five, all of that stuff. I thought, you know, I don't want my kid to be that kid that grabs everything from another kid and beats another kid over the head, even in preschool. So I decided um, that I was going to introduce him to a little parenting project that I had thought up. And I was going to teach my son to give uh, because it's what my parents taught me. They were people in the service area of the world. My dad was a doctor and my mother was a, a nurse and massage therapist, and they had dedicated their life to being of service to other people. And so it was kind of a seed that had been already planted in me. And so we started this little project. Don't ask me where it came from. I can just say I downloaded it from the gods. Um, but I decided that we were going to do one thing to be kind, compassionate, loving to the world. And that could be to animals. It could be to the planet. It could be to people every day for 365 days. Um, everybody thought I was just about nuts. They're like, he's three. What are you thinking? I'm like, you know what? This has to be so simple. A three-year-old could do it. And I was blessed that I had my own business. So I was a stay at home mom and also worked from home. So I was with my son and worked my business around his life. And, um, and so we would integrate ways to give back that just worked into our life. So we're heading to the park to go for a walk. We'd pick up garbage along the way. We have a local um, animal rescue center down the street. We would go donate towels and blankets, or we would volunteer our time and go cuddle with the cats. Like, what kid doesn't love that? Uh, you know, we would um, support the Salvation Army that also right down the street from us. We would give the things that we no longer needed. We would buy from that store because that was a way of giving as well. So rather than going out and buying new toys all the time, it was our fun to go down to the local Sally Ann store 
and buy things that we knew that when we bought them, not only did it bring my son, obviously, happiness, but we were giving back to our community at the same time. And so we found little things within our day. It wasn't something different all the time. Um, it was a gamut of different things that we just integrated into our life. And it took a while to get going, and some days were harder than others. You know, I had to, had to really kind of reach and dig to what we were going to do. But it became a conscious, purposeful effort every day to recognize those things that we could do. Listen, it could be as simple as my son was really nice to a little friend that he was doing gymnastics to and shared his snack. But we recognize that every day as a way that we gave back to our the people around us and in our world. And we didn't have to go far. It's not like I traveled to India and we fed homeless people or I ended up raising a billion dollars and you know, all of those things. I mean, we'd go to the recycling depot and instead of us keeping the money, we actually stockpiled the money that we got from our cans and bottles and everything. We kept it till the end of the year um, of our 365 days of giving. It totaled something like $147. And my son and I together decided that we were gonna help build a roof on a school for some kids in Africa. Um, and it was really India, neat. But you went to Africa. We didn't go to Africa. We just donated our money to that. Your spirit and went to Africa. We did. Are completely. <laughs> and here's why we even knew about that school in Africa. Because I decided that on this journey, um, I created actually, and this is at the time of when blogs were very popular and just started, that I was going to do a blog so we could share our stories with our friends and family. And the hope, the, the deeper hope for me was that if we can, if we could inspire one person in our world, people around us to give, then we had made a better world. So not only were we giving, but if we could, we could just show people how easy it was. And if it inspired somebody else, then that's how we were going to change the world. And that's where that whole thing came from is, is, you know, changing the world one give one day at a time, because the ripple effect of when we give and people see you giving it not only inspires them to give, but something on a chemical level happens in our brain. It's actually called your mirror neurons. And this is when you actually take action because of something you have seen. It's a way that our brains copy other people's behaviors. So when people started reading our story, they started seeing us on social. I didn't even have my own Facebook page until this page, this time. Instagram didn't exist, but we I would tweet our stories, I would share them on Facebook, we had our blog, and people from all over the world were reading our stories, and they started giving because of Nick, which was the and most incredible part. This? So this was just this put is, into context? This is, put into context, Nick is turning 13 on Tuesday, okay, so and we started, so this was 10 years ago that we started this. And, and there was no like bigger, like, I, you know, I'm going to change the whole world. Actually, people were like, why don't you just choose like a cause, like help the animal shelter, focus on that. You could probably do more good. And I was like, you know what? It just, I, I can't explain it any other way, but it was when people say you get a calling, it was the calling that I just knew I needed to follow this path. Didn't know where it was going to take me. Didn't have an end game, nothing else, all those great things. It was just, I knew I had to do this for us. Uh, my husband would say it became an addiction and it's probably the greatest addiction of my life giving. Oh my God. It was completely and totally awesome. And of course, at the end of 365 days, I was like, I can't stop. I can't stop because I just, I knew it was my path at that point. Well, here's the cool part of the story that you don't get to hear in my Ted talk on day 365. And you want to talk about karma and you know, that phrase, when you give, you get, and not in the big picture of when you give something, you expect something back from somebody else. But when you give from your heart with absolutely no condition, you get the greatest gifts of your life. And so what happened for us on day 365 on my son's fourth birthday was the day his brother came home. My husband were, goosebumps. can you feel those goosebumps? Goosebumps. Okay, so, so, you know what? Again, and I'll say it again. When you adopt children, you have zero control the day that thing's coming. Like, absolutely none. So the fact that that second little boy came home on day 365 was, it's when you just stand back and you go, oh my God. And I'm not a religious person, but in that moment, I had to say God because there was no other, no other word for it. It was, it was that gift it's a that miracle. giving brings. 
it's a miracle. It's it's if you don't believe in God, come and talk to me because you know what? I'll share some of the crazy ass stories that took me to where I am today, and you'll believe in something bigger than ourselves. That's what and God is for a lot of us, right? That's what God is. It's like God is just it's something a word inside of you and inside of you. Completely and totally. So to me, God is just like three letters that are put together that depending on who you talk to, it depends on what you mean. But it's it is. It's that force greater than ourselves that chooses the path if your ears and your heart are open to listen to that so my second son we call him the 365 give baby um he's my greatest one of my greatest <laughs> teachers in my life teaches me how to look at the world differently in so many levels amazing uh, yeah amazing. which is great and and you know it was really fun and it, well, you know what the story keeps going and this isn't my adoption story i don't mean it to be but it's part of the path is that six months later after my second son came home the phone, like talk about getting a calling because all of these are callings. Like when somebody calls you to say, I've got a baby for you, literally the phone rings and you pick it up and you get a call. So when I say it's my calling, six months later, I get a call. Well, my second son, his brother has just been born. Same birth mom. Uh, and we have to make a choice whether he's coming home or not. So I, all of a sudden I had three babies. Uh, and it was awesome. It was, it was crazy and insane. I'm not saying it was easy, but it was awesome. Um, but I never gave up that dream, even though I was sleep deprived, I was like over, way over my limit on what I thought I was able to do. Um, that little calling of 365 give never went away. So I took a break for a little while from it because I had to. Um, I didn't have the time or space to, to move forward. But the really neat thing about it was, is about a year after the 365 give journey had stopped, Again, the phone rings. I'm telling you, the phone rings. When you got a calling, just pick up the phone. That's all you've got to do. It's like, it's my story. The phone rings. It's a girlfriend of mine. She's a teacher here at a local elementary school. She says to me, Jacqueline, I can't, I can't stop thinking about 365 Give, she says, and I want to bring it to my classroom. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't, I'm not a teacher. I don't know how you even go about doing that. She said, let's just get together for a coffee and talk about it. She came over with her kids. I had my brood. We sat down and we had probably not a coffee, but many glasses of wine. And we the best kind of coffee. Can, oh my God. And like, <laughs> let's do this. Let's try. And we just said, let's try. Let's just take some time and sit and hammer this out and what potentially it might look like in a classroom. So we spent a, we spent a little bit of time and it was always like at a park with our kids or whatever it was because we were both moms, full time moms. And so we sat down and we hammered out this little, program about giving and how you could bring it to the classroom. She said, let's go sit down with my principal and have a chat with us, chat with her about it. And we did. And the principal said, I absolutely love it. It's perfect. She said, I want you to bring it to our teachers and see what they say. Next week, I'm at the school. I've got 18 educators in front of me. Well, you know that feeling when you were a little kid and every teacher scared you to death because you just thought they were like, bigger they knew everything well that's how I felt going into this room it was it was terrifying I was like right back in my childhood it was hilarious but we rolled this out and you know what out of 18 teachers six decided they were going to try it and that's what we needed we need a test model well then I went to another school six more teachers decided they would try it and then I went to a high school and a teacher at the high school said I'm going to try this in my grade 8 classroom so that first year we did a 12-week pilot on this in the schools. Uh, so we had, we had a, uh, whatever it was, uh, 13 classrooms, a couple hundred kids, and they tested it out, and lo and behold, oh my God, it worked. And the next year, we had more, and we developed the program a little bit further. And over the course of just two and a half, and when I say two and a half years, school years, so very short period of time, we ended up with like 25 classrooms. We had a scientific research project going on it in partnership with UBC here because they study the science of giving and happiness. And um, we were gaining a lot of momentum and we thought 25 schools, oh my God, we had like 8,000 kids that had been through our program. So excited, we couldn't wow. believe the momentum that we were getting. And then through, again, lots of circumstances, the phone rings. I'm going to keep telling everybody this because when the phone rings, pick it up and listen. Phone rings. It is the Canadian. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, you go. The Canadian Institute of yeah, the Canadian Institute of Scientific Research is calling me 
Okay, I'm not a researcher. I'm not any of those things. They're calling me going, we want you to be part of a talk on the science of giving. I'm like, I'm like, sorry, are you kidding me? I'm like, are you sure you have the right person? They said, no, you were recommended by the leading researcher here in Vancouver that studies the science of giving. She's going to be part of the talk. We need you to be part of the panel as the on the ground worker. I'm like, okay, fine. I'm like, and I'm like shaking in my boots going, can I really pull this off? Like, are you kidding me? I only talked to kids at that point. I only talked as a speaker to like children. I'm like, okay, we're just going to do this. So, Keep going, the fate, this is the fun part. I'm in the gym one day at my community center gym. Some old guy who's like 85 is like in my way and I'm like, excuse me, sir, can you, I just need this piece of equipment. I only have this much time. If you're not using it, can you move? <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, who are you? And we start up this whole conversation. I tell him about 365 give, lasts about 10 minutes. Off he goes, off he goes. Next day I see him again and he said, what do you got coming up? And I said, oh, I'm doing this talk actually for you know scientific research institute blah 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 and he says oh i want to gift you something and i said really he said yeah i want to gift you a speaker one of my very good friends is the sixth um uh the i don't know what uh, sixth uh winner in the world of the best speaking competition globally he says and he coaches people he said i want to gift him to you as a session so that you're prepared for this talk you've got to do i'm like oh Okay, I didn't know this guy from a hole in the head. Does this, you know, and I'm like, okay, and I'm not good at receiving, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to take this opportunity. And so I end up meeting with this guy, I write speech. We sit down, we spend a couple hours together. He helps me kind of rewrite this speech, and he's like, you got to memorize it, blah, blah. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, I can't memorize this. Anyways, I spend the time with the person. Well, don't you know, before I even do my talk for the Canadian Advanced Research, whatever, he calls me and he says, I want you to do a TEDx talk. And I'm going, are you kidding me? This is this coach. He said, yeah, I'm actually, I run TEDx Stanley Park um, with somebody else. He said, I want you to apply and I want you to see if they'll accept you. He said, but you only have three days to do it and you need to write your speech, um, put it in and no then you're going to need to. I'm like, I have three children <laughs> under the age of five. I'm supposed to be doing this keynote for the Canadian advanced research. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, okay. So I decide I'm going to do it. And I wrote out the app. I filled out the application. He said, we're making the decisions in five days. So that's why you have to do this in three. They're testing everybody in three. If you get through the first application process, he said, and you get to perform this in front of them, then they make the final decision next week. It's now like mid October. I'm like, are you kidding? I'm like, okay, fine. Let's just do that. I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. And if they accept me, great. And if they don't, I was good with that too. So I wrote a little speech. I handed it in. I filled out the application. I'm through like in 24 hours. Okay. You're through to the next round. You have to come and perform this next week at this time. I had to go read this speech in front of like a panel of 10 judges on whether I was going to get into TEDx Stanley Park or not. Back into the school, the eh? Oh my God. Talk about the most terrifying moment got up, I read my story, and it was just my story. The speech was my story and the journey of what we were doing. That's all it was, it was, it was who I was already being. So it's not like it was a difficult story for me to write. You know, I just told my truth, and I told some stories about some of the things we had done and, and the connection I had made with people. It was really cool. Well, don't you know, that night, 10 o'clock at night, I get the email, you've made it through, you're gonna be a TEDx speaker. Super cool. I'm like, oh my, like, oh my God. Like, like, like you're just like, you sit there and you go, are you kidding me? Like all of it. And then, the, then you, then you get to work. And I happen to have um, somebody who was running this TEDx, who was a quadruple personality um, and expected nothing but perfection and excellence from all of his speakers. And it was a really difficult process for me because I've always said, I'm not a writer. And people think when you're a TEDx speaker, that you got, you know, you're a speaker, and but you're not, you're actually a writer. You're crafting, you have 15 minutes, 18 minutes to craft what everybody calls the talk of your lifetime, and you're actually a writer. And it was my biggest um, thing that held me back because I just kept saying, I'm not a writer. I can get up and talk in front of people, but I'm not a writer. Uh, and so I had to become really clear on my story, and every time somebody told me I should go this way, which was off my path of my story, 
it made me feel sick. Like I was like, I can't say that. That's not who I am. And that's not my story completely and totally. And about three weeks before the event, um, I had to make a choice because so many people were telling me to go in so many different directions and literally make up stories and make up how I felt and make up my experience with Nick that I just, I told everybody to back off. I told them I was sick. I couldn't come to rehearsals. I couldn't be there. I rewrote my speech. I did it in exactly the way I wanted to. I wrote it until I cried because I knew that was the right feeling for me. I knew when it touched my heart and came from my heart, it was the story that everybody else needed to hear. I had to fight so many demons to get through that. The feeling of I wasn't enough, I wasn't good enough, everybody telling me it wasn't. Yeah. Oh my God, like it, everybody telling you it wasn't good enough. Nobody was going to listen. Everybody just kept telling me that and I, I and and it, it digs up all those inner demons, right? That just says you're not good enough and it wasn't until I went, no. I got this and I listened to my own voice and then I stood on that stage and you know, it was the moment of clarity that for all your fears that you have, you're not going to, you have to memorize your speech, like all this stuff. And um, when I stood on that stage it was probably the most peaceful moment of my existence. When I went, I'm exactly where I was supposed to be and all the noise and all the chatter, it all went away. And I stood at the stage and I just went, Oh my God, this is, when people say follow your bliss, I knew I was in my bliss in that moment. And it didn't matter to me who listened, who got the message, who didn't get the message. My moment. single goal was if I can touch one person and I can inspire one person to give because of my message today, that was my single goal. And to show my son, Nick, who had inspired this in me, that he could do anything that he could get over any fear in his life. He could do anything and be anything that he wanted. And I could never quit and give up because I had to show him that if I can do it, he can do anything. Um, and he had seen me cry. He'd seen me like on the ball, like in stress and, you know, just on the edge of quitting. And, and so in that peaceful moment, it was amazing. And did I ever expect that my TED talk, you know, the goal of the, the guy who ran this and he kept saying this to us is your goal is to hit a million views by Christmas. So this talk, we did them in March. They went live on Ted in April. And he said, the goal is, is 1 million views by Christmas. Do whatever you got to do to make that happen. And we're all like, who are you kidding? A million views. Like that's your goal. That's not my goal. And it was like, Oh my God, he used to do crazy things. He'd like, he'd like send us emails and rank us where we stood. Like no the comparison, no, but the comparison and the competition that he was creating between the speakers that stood on that stage that poured out their heart and souls. And I just, I emailed everybody back and I said, and, and the, and the problem was, is that I was leading, you know, in views or whatever it was. And I literally emailed everybody and I said, do not put me on this list. I am not here to create a sense of competition with people that I deeply respect and love for what they put on the stage. I said, take me off of this email chain. I'm not interested. I'm here to support everybody in any way I can. I said, but get me off this competition list. I'm not interested. Well, let me tell you on Christmas Eve, we hit 1 million views. And on, well, it was Christmas day, actually, we hit 1 million views. Um, and I was just, Oh my, I get, oh my God, <laughs> oh my God. And so the journey between now and then has been remarkable. Um, you know, obviously we've grown a lot at the same time that all this has happened. We were given some funding. We are a registered charity to rebuild our platform. And what we realized from the talk and the title of the talk is how to be happy every day. It will change the world is the search for happiness in our world is remarkable. And the amount of people that are so desperate and so sad and are not happy and literally the comments and you can go through the talk, you'll see every other comment is, I can't believe I'm searching for happiness. And our talk comes up um, because that's the title. Uh, and so it, it really grounded me in the fact that so many, you know, as much as our program was made and built for schools and children, it was actually truly built for everyone because so many people were in the search of it. And the goal has always been with 365 is that when, when you give, it connects you to your happiness for lots of reasons, not just because giving is the right thing to do, 
but most people don't realize, and just so that you know, I didn't either until I did this talk, is that our brains and bodies are actually built to give, to produce happiness for us. And we actually call it your daily dose of happiness. And here's why, and what most people don't understand, is our bodies, and this is where we can go, oh my God, like, who created our bodies? Like, really? Four things happen in our bodies with our neurotransmitters and our hormones. And it's your dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and your endorphins. And some of you may or may not have heard of different parts of this. But the really cool thing about giving, when you're a runner, you get the runner's high. That's firing off your endorphins. Other things like um, falling in love, that's, fall, that's firing off your dopamine. Um, when you go and buy yourself a new pair of shoes that you really love and that feeling of happiness, that's serotonin. Oxytocin is your love hormone. So that's when you cuddle your dog or cat. You know, That's all of those things that just make you feel like love. The cool thing about giving, which all of those different things don't do, it ignites all of them all at the same time. So you are literally firing off every neurotransmitter that comes from your heart. People don't realize these, but neurotransmitters come from not only your brain, but they come from your heart. And the hormones that fire off everything in your body to make you feel content, happy, love, on fire, those are your endorphins, and they all fire at once when you give. And it doesn't matter how small. Here's even the cooler thing. We talked about those mirror neurons earlier. You can witness somebody else giving, okay? Those videos that we see when the fireman rescues a person out of the house or, you know, somebody, a group of people come together and they get the dog out of the running river during, after a hurricane or during a flood. Those are your mirror neurons. So when you watch somebody else giving, it still fires, it fires off those same things in your body, your daily dose of happy. So our bodies and brains were actually meant to have this reaction to inspire us to that inner hero we all have. It's the hero's journey and the hero's story that is in every mythical story ever that we all want to have that path of we're born, we have struggles, we get over them, and the hero at the end of every story, whether it's Star Wars, it's the Matrix, it's Superman, is that the hero always wins. And that's all of our story. And giving the story help us be that. Completely and totally. And that's what we believe. And that's what we, we talk to children about is that we all have that inner hero in us. And giving gives our life purpose and meaning. It makes us happy and it gives us control in our life every day. So the key things to well-being, most people don't realize this, are those three things. How you feel, happiness. The second one is purpose or meaning in your life, why you're here. What makes your heart sing? What makes you get up in the morning? That's your purpose and meaning. The third pillar of well-being is control. We're at a time right now in our world where we actually don't feel in control of anything. But when you go out and you are in service to the world around you, and it may be to people, it may be to animals, it may be to the planet, you get a little control back in your life. You get control back over how you feel. You get control on how you give to others. That's all your choice. That's a little area of your life that whether it's COVID, it's politicians, it's hurricanes, it's natural fires. It gives you that little piece of control back in your life. And those are the pillars of well-being. And it is literally that simple to bring back the well mental well-being that so many people in the world are missing right now and struggling with. It's finding your happiness through thought and action because what we think creates how we feel. How you act in the world also creates how we feel. It's finding the purpose and meaning in life. And I'm not saying you got to do what I do and you go out and, you know, your path is 365 give and you stand on a world stage and all those things. It's not that. Purpose and meaning is just knowing that at the end of your life on whatever day that is, if it's tomorrow or it's next year or it's 20 years from now, that your life meant something while you were here. You made an impact on the world. You left a footprint bigger than yourself 
and that's purpose and meaning. I'm not going to let you talk at all. And the last piece is the control piece. And the last piece is the control. We all have control how we show up in the world. And we all have that control to be what I set out to teach my kid to be a kind, compassionate, loving human being. We all have that control to show up in the world exactly like that. And you don't need your mom or dad or me teaching you that. That's your choice in every moment of every day of your life. And I don't care if you're a child that lives in India in poverty or you're the richest man in the world. <laughs> we all have a gift in our life we can give. It can be a smile. It can be compassion for another person. It can be any of those things. Okay, I'm going to stop talking now. No, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, I'm going to talk about it. And you know, I, I, as you shared, and it's completely inspiring, you know, what I <laughs> feel is the spark. I always say it starts with a spark. It starts with something inside of us. And, you know, the sun can shine or it can be behind the gray clouds, but you have to have that faith that the sun is there and you have to be able, you have to be intentional about reaching out for that energy and putting the energy in your heart and lighting that spark. And you talk about a fire and that fire, you were so intentional about starting with something that you love. You started with your son. You were a role model. And, you know, this takes me to leadership. You know, we don't role play, we role model. You didn't... I mean, it's, it's amazing if you climb mountains. Some of the guests that I've had have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with a washing machine on their back. And that's incredible. That's incredible. And, it's incredible, you know, but not for all of us. <laughs> and the idea is that it's also in the small things that we do. You mentioned it, the smile, the compassion, walking down the street and making a difference in somebody's life. It's, it's lighting that spark with another. And, you know, that is all about what you're talking about. We can choose to just cuddle with our cats or our significant other. We could decide to go for a walk or a run. But when we give, this is something, you, I, I want to go back to this. This is something that's powerful. It brings all the very sparks that light within us. Giving, which the recipient is outside of us. It's not directly benefiting us, right? We're not getting that gift. But in giving, we are giving the gift back to us. It's karma. Absolutely. Completely. Right? And, and, you know, and I say this all the time, too. You know, sometimes the give that you need to do for the day, consciously that effort, is actually give to yourself. And you had uh, mentioned this. And listen, as a mother of three children, you always put yourself last. You know, you're on, you're on the bottom of the pecking list. You know, everybody comes first from your kids to your dog, to your husband, everybody comes first. I am the first person to put every single thing in my life ahead of myself. And you know, when you reached out to me recently, um, I, I have taken the last two or three months off social media, off to creating, um, whether it's inspirational videos, whatever it is, because I came to a point where I realized that I wasn't living what I was preaching talk about happiness, you know, do all these interviews and conversations, whatever. But I realized when I was sitting down in the middle of, you know, COVID and us being stuck in home and me doing homeschooling with my kids and I'm like, oh my God. And I went, I, I couldn't find that happy place in me anymore. And so I stepped back from everything. I stopped being of service to everybody else and I was in service to myself. And I have to tell you that that time has given me my greatest clarity to know where I need to go next. Cause that was my question. I'm like, okay, so I've done this. Like 365 give is a like schools. I've done all this stuff, you know, we've grown. It organically keeps growing. Uh, but I was like, but I was still at that point where I was like, no, it's not that it wasn't enough. I, I just wanted to do more. That's the gift of living is that you always want to do something more. You want to experience something more, but I had to step back so I could move forward and get really clear on what the next part was for me so I could be of service to everybody else. Well, Jacqueline, I love that transparency because a lot of people don't realize, and that's unfiltered in its essence, is you realize that you want to give so much back. And I'm a high achiever just like you. I think that's why I, we connect so well. But it brings you out. I, you know, oh, as I'm going through this like, process, yeah. I miss meetings, which I never do. I've never missed a meeting in my life. 
I am not there for my family because I'm, I'm you know, social responsibility is up here. And I had to say to myself, wait a minute. I can't continue to care for others if I don't care for myself. And so sometimes that giving starts with giving yourself first so that you're in good shape. You, you go for a run so that you can be in good shape so you can look after others, look after yourself and be resilient. But we underestimate the value of being healthy. And you mentioned it. Practicing what you preach. Healthy, healthy in body, but healthy in mind. Healthy in mind, healthy and, in spirit, and that's healthy in mind. heart. Completely. Right? It's all of it, right? And and people I know when they listen to this, they're like, oh, I don't have time for this. I got a job. I got kids. Guess what? We all do. We're all in the same boat in that respect. Did um, somebody and I actually out on that? Did what? so when you said you recognized that you were getting overburdened no, and you I, had to stop, you, you were able to recognize it yourself and call yourself out you know what it was it was when i realized that every day when i was waking up i was waking up going jesus christ i gotta do this all over again it was like it was like i was on i was the hamster on the wheel where i was just trying to get through the day rather than waking up excited feeling blessed to be alive blessed for another day i was waking up going I just got to get through till five o'clock when it's time for my vodka and I've just got to get through this goddamn homeschooling and I've just got to get through and I've got to get through till it's my kids iPad time and I have an hour to sit and feel numb. Uh, and that's how I was feeling. I was just, well, and, and then going, so, you know, it, it was a funny thing and it was, it was a conversation you and I were having before we got on here. And during COVID and all the lockdown and everything else, and, and I was that parent who I, I was like, I was taking the kids to the remote beach. I was taking them for hikes. Like we got out of the house. I could not be in the house with my kids. Um, so we got out of the house. I even started happiness school at home because I think a lot of what is taught at school is just memory bullshit work. So I started happiness school at home and just did all kinds of stuff with the kids it was creative art it was planting seeds building gardens like we started that so that kind of started me on started getting my momentum up to focus on my happiness and the funny moment that changed it for me was when we started coming out of covid um a, a friend had called me and said did you know that the gym is opening up and we've got an amazing community center he said did you know that the gym opened up today well the gym is like for me, I love exercising. It's just something I love. I don't like exercising at home. My days of running are over. I used to be a marathon runner and all that stuff. I don't actually enjoy running that much anymore. And I was not, I was like, I was getting up in the morning and instead of exercising, I was like falling into like my social media slump, like everybody else says, checking the news, how many COVID cases, reading CNN, driving myself crazy, you know, going on to all the other social platforms thinking, oh God, I have to be there for everybody else because they have an expectation that I'm like the light in the tunnel when I wasn't. And the day that somebody told me the gym was open, I got online and I booked because you have to book a time slot. Oh my God. I woke up that morning so happy and so on purpose 6 a.m i was at that gym i had one hour to work my body any way that i wanted it and it was like the spark the light went back on and i went oh my god this is this is happy again like i found it i booked every day of the week and i went you know what this is how i put myself first my kids weren't going to school they could be home they're old enough now that they could be home myself and my husband could be here whatever and i went this is it. I'm putting myself first. This going back to the gym is no longer a maybe if I can get there based on the children. It's from it's 6 to 7 a.m. It's a, it, This is my time. Yeah. Everybody else can wait. Nobody's throwing me off my track. I've been at the gym every day, uh, five days a week I go, and I'm there five days, and it's been now six weeks that I've been doing that. But in that, and in that, I went back to that gym. I thanked all the staff that were there. I was so excited to see the people that I'd known for so long. I was so grateful to see them again. I could not just wake up and go, yeah, I'm grateful for another day. I could feel the deep gratitude for being part of my community again and how much I missed it. You know, and I was so grateful that the people at the gym were putting themselves at risk so we could all be there. You know, they're putting themselves at risk of COVID for being there. And, how do and I, I went around and I thanked them. Well, here's the cool thing. At the same time, my husband was taking the children away for the very first time. And he took my two little ones camping um, for six days. And so in that moment that they talk about when the stars line up, 
my very first day at the gym was also the very first day my husband left with my two little ones. And I've never felt so free because I haven't been away from them ever, ever, ever. I've never had a break from them. Uh, and so that, that's now 10 years. Uh, and so I'm going, oh my God, I have six days to choose whatever I want to do, to choose everything I want. I had a, I had a book, three pages long of to-do lists of things that I wanted to get done. I never even looked at it the whole time. I sat for six days figuring out every single thing in my life that made me happy. Every single day I got up, the first thing I would do is I am going to look for things that make me happy. And it started, I'm a big gardener, started with my garden. I would wake up, I would take my shoes off or my sandals off. I would walk in my garden. I would walk around and thank every single flower that was open. I would thank the birds. I would thank the butterflies. I know it sounds so absolutely ridiculous, but it's people think that gratitude uh, and being thankful for things that you have to go big. You know, you never try to thank or be grateful for your children because most days they drive you a bit nuts or your husband or partner or whatever. Even your dog or cat some days just drives you a bit bonkers. You never go for the big things. Go for the things that have no conditions. There's no bird that has ever done anything to me. There's no flower that has done anything. No bird has ever shot on you. Well, maybe <laughs> once, but not the birds in my garden. <laughs> so I, could, I could literally sit there and go, oh my God, flowers just bring me so much joy. They bring me some unconditionally. It, I knew that they could grow and they could die and they could, it still just made me so happy. I went through my garden and I, I gardened and I picked out the weeds with the metaphor that I was picking them out of my own world and my own life. And those were my, so I spent six days literally in kind of a form of meditation. And when I talk about meditation, you don't have to just sit still and try and turn your mind off. Meditation can be gardening. Meditation it's turning can be your learning. mind and your heart on. It is. It's well, to me, it's turning your monkey mind off and mm. changing that focus to listening to your heart, right? Changing the energy that's surrounding the world. You know, most people don't realize this, but new science says can now prove uh, uh, that, you know, every cell in your body has the same energy capacity of, as a 1.4 volt battery. Oh. And they can prove it. Science proves it. This is not crap mojo I'm making up. Science can now prove that every cell in your body has the energy of a 1.4 volt battery. We have 40 trillion cells in our body that never stop moving. Energy that is moving in our bodies day and night. Oh my God, all you have to do is get that energy moving a little differently and everything changes. It's that simple. And this is based on science and research. It's not based on spiritual, godliness, anything else. It's based on science. And all you have to do is shift that energy that's happening in every cell of your body by connecting to the world around you, our beautiful planet things that you love, things that I do it with music. I have a playlist specifically to change the energy in my body. It makes me feel alive. It makes me sing. It makes me dance. I have a playlist just for that. I have a playlist just for getting me going in the gym mm -hmm. to make me move and push myself a little bit harder or to dance through my workout, whatever it's that all about is. But your I, it is. So I, I have like a toolbox of happy things now that I know that I can tap into in the days that I feel really crappy or I don't wake up motivated or I'm worried about something. Um, and I, I dig into my happy toolbox and I go, okay, I know how to do this. I know how it works in my body with that daily dose of happiness that we talked about. And I know how I can use outside things to also get that going inside of me. And so now it has become, and when I talk about how to be happy every day, happiness and well-being is a practice. You can't, the days you go without it are the days I'm so clear. Like I can feel it in everything that my mind goes the wrong way. My energy goes the wrong way. I don't go to the gym. I haven't done my meditation, whether that's gardening, walking, going down to the ocean or sitting still and lying still on the couch and, and releasing my mind. Um, I know. And so I started a daily practice from that day and this was just in July. So this is a couple months ago. I'm not some like guru. Um, but, but in those moments and that practice that I have now found for myself and people always say to me, well, what's your practice? My practices is, is I start with knowing the things that make me happy, 
Okay, so knowing that when I get up in the morning, before I let any other thought go through my head, before I pick up my phone, before I go through social media, before I look at the news, any of those things, I know three ways I can tap into my happy feelings inside of me, and those are the first things I do. I have a meditation I listen to as I walk around my garden, even when it's raining and crappy. I get out and I enjoy my garden, even now in the fall and it's cold, and I got like my umbrella on at four in the morning. I make the time for it. I set my alarm for four o'clock in the morning every day because I have a child up by 5.30. So I know that's my window of opportunity to go and set my happiness for the day so I can be the best for everybody else. This practice has made the completely the world of difference to me because now I'm showing up as who I am. I'm showing I'm up so happy, happy for everybody else. Um, and that's the big one is that I can't be the best for my children uh, and my family for my community and I can't be the best for myself if I don't start in a place that's happy and calm and not in judgment not in stuck in the world news I can actually laugh at it now because I can't control COVID I can only I, I can only control my reaction to all of it I actually feel really, really blessed for so much of COVID and not for the lives that have been lost, but I'm blessed that everybody has been given the chance to stand back, to look at how we're doing life, how it's not working for us all. I was that person stuck in COVID that it wasn't working and to see how we can do things differently in our world. And, and it's brought on, it's like it was the beginning of the explosion of not so good but I have a true belief that in that explosion of everything that's coming out in everybody, and that's Black Lives Matter, it's people being united, it's the fires, that in the chaos, we're going to find the calm. And, and I believe that for myself. So I know that the experience I'm going to have in my life will be the calm. And, and listen, we had that smoke. I mean, we had two weeks here in Vancouver where we were choking on the smoke. So we got to experience all of that. Our kids just went back to school with the fear. I mean, you could feel it off the teachers when they arrived at school. You could feel it in the other parents, like all of it. But I know that in all of that chaos that surrounds us, that when we can find our calm, everybody will start to find that calm. Um, that's and that's what we all need to focus on. And, and so we all need to, I can't be, my children won't be calm if I'm not calm. And I have three children that are not just like they popped into the world and they were perfect. I have three what is called neurodiverse children. Some call them special needs. If I'm not calm, they find, they feel that energy from me and it, it drives them over the edge and they, they can't think, they can't function, it's meltdowns. It's So I'm managing not just, when I manage my own inner world, it helps them manage their inner worlds. So um, let me ask you, Jacqueline, with, because you have given us so many pieces of enlightenment. Sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, what are you saying <laughs> sorry for? What are you I'm saying sorry for? I, I have to watch this after and write down all the nuggets of wisdom and, and heartfelt energy that you share. It's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's this other thing I need to do? So don't apologize for anything. But I will tell you, one of the things I do is called the unfiltered thought of the week. And that's yes. where I, I, I could take every single thing you said today about how to be happy, how to be in control, how to reset and reflect and walk through my garden at four o'clock in the morning, how to get my butt out of yeah, go to the exactly. gym, right? But I'm going to ask Excited you, for the day. That's, that's it. Right? With that thought in mind and with your happiness toolbox, if you could give one spark, one tool from your toolbox to the people listening from Jacqueline Way to reset, to, to re-energize. Because look at you, I want to send me back off of it. You could have come across as somebody, and you do, somebody's done very well, very successful. Oh, I know. People sometimes only see the no. outside, they don't, right? The perception, right? right? The perception, right? like TED Talker, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. But you know, we all have our inner struggles. And what oh, you did, well, and I know, I, I took a hiatus from, from social media. So for you to take a six-week hiatus, I applaud you. 
But what I want to ask you, nothing went away. Your, 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 your group was still there and everything, oh, right? They're all still there. They're all still there. But yeah. When we are trying to reconnect and reset and, and re-energize, what one tool can you pick out of that toolbox and say, hey, try this? Yeah. Um, you know what? I'll be clear with that. You know, the one thing that people don't realize is that happiness um, is different for every single person on the planet. You know, we all compare ourselves to each other. Oh, that person's really happy, whatever. When they say happiness is an inside job, it truly is an inside job because the only person that knows how happiness feels for you is you. Is you. Is you. I, I can't say go out and smell flowers. That may not work for you. So take the time to go, what can I experience that I know for sure brings some happiness in my world? And I mean unconditional happiness. And I don't mean like going out to a dance club and dancing. How about dancing in your house by yourself because a piece of music has inspired you? How about lying down on your couch or your floor and you have your playlist of music that you can listen to and it just, it just makes your heart sing. You don't have to be a singer, but it makes your heart sing. How can you, you know, I like to learn every day. I start with a, um, I have a, it could be an, it's, it's like an inspirational thing that rings my bells. I know I shouldn't get out of my bed or sip my first cup of coffee until I've got that in my ears to stop the negative chatter from going. The monkey you know, in your I, brain. I like the way you The monkey in your mind. So I shut it off before I even get out of bed. Stop that chatter. Just recognize it as, okay, that monkey mind in my head, it's not me. It's the only way I can explain this is this here, your mind in your head that nonstop chats and tells you you're not good enough, tells you you haven't done enough, reminds you of your to-do list. That's not who you are here. So find that first. Find what gives you, I always say it's your goosebumps. What gives you goosebumps? Um, from listening to it, from, um, listen, it could be a TED talk that you've watched over and over. Like I have lots of those and that's what I do is I, I start with those conversations on my phone, on my phone. It's the gift that we have is when you start your YouTube off, it will pick up the algorithms of what you're talking about, what, what you're listening to, right? It will, it will give you the next thing. I can literally wake up almost every day and go, okay, YouTube, what do you got for me today that I need to hear? Now, I'm not saying that to YouTube. I'm saying it to like, you know, my angels in the world. The thing that came up for me today, and it was one of your questions. I read a book once, and it's called A Conversation with God by Neil uh, Walsh. I read it when I was about 25. It was when it was first published. Haven't looked at the book in that long. That book came up in audio version on my YouTube today because I had a question that I needed answered. And in the first 30 minutes of re-listening to that book, it gave me exactly what I needed. And so if you looked on my YouTube feed, you will see nothing but American Idol, um, uh, any music that has inspired me. I love watching people sing. I love watching people sing, get on a stage, sing and have success. There's something about that when somebody sings. And it gets the goosebumps when somebody gives you the goosebumps because they're standing on a stage and doing what they love and you can feel that through them. I love watching that. So I only watch things on YouTube that, that just make me feel good. And that's those mirror neurons. When that person standing on stage feels really good because of their success and they stood in who they were, it gives me the goosebumps and that, that makes me, fires me off and makes me feel great. The other thing that's on there is every spiritual leader that has ever touched my heart, whether it's Deepak Chopra, uh, Abraham Hicks, um, Neil Donald Walsh, um, all the greats, you know, every great spiritual leader it comes up on my feed and that's all I listen to. I don't listen to any of the crap. I don't listen to any of the bullshit. Um, I don't go to my social media, none of it because I've set my algorithm already on my phone that only what I need to hear will come up.
So that and was that's to, to me that what you all need to do, head, right? And that's what it does. So it sets you already. You have set yourself for the day, rather than going to CNN or Fox News, that will set you in completely the wrong direction for the day. You have set yourself in a direction already. It sets your intention for the day that you're just looking for the good. You're only looking for the good in the world for the day. I'm and not saying that the bad. If you look for it, I'm not saying the bad's not going to come. But here's the news. And this is a this is a deeper understanding for people to get. But if only good showed up for you in your world and nothing else, like everything you wanted instantly showed up on your lap today, it would be over. What else would you dream for? What else would you hope for? What else would you want to experience? If the lottery dropped on your lap, you could buy everything you wanted, you could do and have everything you wanted, it's over. Life's over. The experience is over. You would still want more. And that's what we have to remember that in the, in the bad, in the things where you're, you're stuck and you can't move, in the moment you can be grateful for that. And this is probably my biggest lesson I've learned recently. When I get stuck in my shit, I can now stand back and be grateful for it because I know that when I get over that, I am that much closer to who I really am. I am that much I don't want to say better person. I'm just so much more clear when I can look at the things that are really like coming into my world and I can go, oh man, that's what I needed. That's what I needed. And I'm thankful for the crap. And this is the first time in my life that I've ever been able to be thankful from my down because I know when I'm grateful for what shows up that I don't like in my life, I'm just moving more towards what I do want in my life. And it's been my greatest, my greatest learning in the last three months. We, we can't taste the difference between what is sweet and bitter unless we've tasted them both. And, Completely and know, totally. Right? How do you know? The buffet of life. Yeah. How do you know you like butter chicken if you haven't tried liver and onions? You know, maybe you'll love liver and onions and you'll hate butter chicken. We all have that little buffet in front of us in life every day. But we and the only way... You get to choose from that buffet every day and you can choose that medicine that tastes crappy or you can choose the sweet, whatever it is, right? And that's what you have to, when you wake up in the morning, what do I want to choose from the buffet? Do I want to choose the rose that smells beautiful or do I want to go smell my own crap? Yeah. It's that simple. But if we didn't know, right? <laughs> You don't know what crap smells like. You don't know how sweet exactly, a rose is. Exactly, exactly. You I'm know, like for my language. But it's it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unfiltered here. You know, you may not have <laughs> thought of me. yourself. <laughs> you may not have thought of yourself as an expert on happiness ten years ago. You may I not have. Does. Right, and you know, maybe we weren't as in tune to the messages or the the vibes or the energy that the universe is sending us. Um, but I think when we recognize that we have the universe here and we bring everything inside of us, when we can pick up on that energy, we get to choose. And that is, right? that is a leader. You know, this was, yeah. this was supposed to be a conversation about leadership. Oh, this has been all about leadership. Oh right? so I'm going to give you a quote. So I, I did this before we got on. I hope you don't lose me when I do this, but I wanted to read this quote. And the quote is, great leaders don't set out to be a leader. They set out to make a difference. It's never about the role. It's always about the goal. And great that. leaders, say, and I would never, again, I will yeah. great leaders don't set out to be a leader. They set out to make a difference. It's never about the role. It's about your goal. The goal. And, and you know, that's what 365 Give was for me. I, I didn't, stand on that TED stage to be a great leader of happiness in this world. I set out to make a difference to with a simple goal of touching one person. And that's all it was. And that's what everyone can do with a positive intention coming from their heart. Cause when you live from your heart, that's what we all have the opportunity to do every day. And so we all are all leaders in our own world. We are all heroes in our own journey when you live from your heart and you give from your heart, because then giving, giving never feels like giving never feels like you're 
giving something or giving something away, your time, your energy, whatever you have around you, money, it, it, it's, you, it just is, it ignites your heart, it ignites who you are, um, and it makes you the hero in your own story. We are all writing that story every day of our life, and all of a sudden you become your own hero. And all I can tell you is it's, it's an amazing way to live and be. And Jacqueline, when, like you said, you, your intention is to change just one person with one gift, you end up changing the world. And, you know, I, I'll remind people again, you know, your message has reached millions, literally almost 5 million people and counting. And those are only the people that have heard of your talk about what you've done through 365 Give, what you've done with being a leader of uh, giving out positive energy and knowing that you have to be intentional about it every single day because even those leaders have those days where we I don't feel like being we happy. Forget. I'm, I'm stuck no. in my shit today, right? <laughs> I want to thank you for the inspiration today, for being the sunshine, for reminding us that even when the sun is not shining, we'll find that spark and we can find it within us. Just Stay remember, blessed. listen, listen for the call. Listen. Uh, listen hello. For the call. hello. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. <laughs> it was awesome chatting with you today. Thank you for listening to Unfiltered, the show about authentic leadership and personal growth. Like what you heard? Click subscribe, share it, and tell a friend about it. And don't forget to leave a rating.